Suffolk Pod Show is produced and managed by podtalk.co.uk. I'm Mark Mason. And I'm Susanna Hornby. Episode 27. Susanna talks to Sam Hanks, farmland wildlife advisor for the Suffolk Wildlife Trust. Welcome back to the Suffolk Pod Show and a very warm welcome to Sam Hanks. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me today. Very happy to be here. Well, it's it's um, lovely to have you. Very much looking forward to hearing about all your incredible work you're doing with the Suffolk Wildlife Trust. When did you first become interested in wildlife? It's been a lifelong thing for me. I had a very, a very um, wild and free childhood um, in West Suffolk, um, growing up just out and about. We had a wildlife trust nature reserve mm-hmm. a couple of hundred metres from our front door. Absolutely fantastic. Spent much of my time um, as I could out and about, seeing things, doing things. Not not necessarily specifically looking for wildlife, but being out in nature. And of course, um, I had the added advantage that both of my parents studied ecology at university, so right. they were engaged as well and had various jobs through my childhood working in that in that vein. I was inducted at an early age. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like <laughs> you, it. You could say. Um, <laughs> I think it's. Um... It's just so lucky for children to to live a life outside, and particularly now we're seeing the benefits of, of being out as much as we can. You went on to study environmental sciences, I believe. I did, but not not in a conventional route. I went into sort of soon after sixth form. I went into contract work, uh, contracting on on various nature reserves and and stuff all across East Anglia, mm. uh, which is practical work. Doing the hard graft of of looking after these places. It wasn't particularly involved in the sense of the ecological side of things it was it was turn up do it and and go sort right. of thing <laughs> okay um and that that work kind of brought me to the realization that there was an awful lot more to it than i knew and i was able to sort of articulate at the time that brought me to the open university and their environmental sciences course i wanted to find out what it was all about so off, mm. I, off i went to study it <laughs> um yeah so i i did i did environmental sciences with the open university over four years alongside work and then around the same time, um, joined the Suffolk Wildlife Trust. Right. As a reserve warden? As a reserve assistant at first, mm-hmm. but yes, later as a reserve warden. Um, yeah, over on, over on the northeast coast. Some ha- handful of absolutely fantastic nature reserves to be looking after. Mm. Um, and under the very, very knowledgeable eye of a, of a very experienced manager as well. Real privilege and a lot of, a lot of lessons learned. Mm. You said that you grew up in West Suffolk. The nature must be very different, even from the west of Suffolk to the coast. It, yes, certainly is. It certainly is. All, all depends on where you are, what the, the sort of landscape history is, um, what's under your feet in terms of soils and, and all the abiotic things that go into determining what the nature is, mm-hmm. what grows there, what what it lo- looks and feels like. Um, so we, I, grew up, I grew up around the valley fens. Right. Um, which okay. are peat-based fenland habitats. They're, they're quite small sites, but they've got lots of mega rare plants um, and all sorts of interesting things. Um, and then you come over to East Suffolk and the coast and you've got, you've got the sandlings, you've got a handful of um, ancient coppice woodlands and, and reed beds and coastal estuaries and all the rest of it. So, yeah, very different from one to the other. Mm. But a lot of the things mm. that are done in order to manage these places are, are, are quite similar mm. in there. I think you have a vast knowledge, Sam. 
Well, uh, yeah, who knows? I I always think that I don't I don't possibly know enough. <laughs> and there's the more you know, the more you know you don't know, isn't it? As the yeah. the adage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a lot about um, your work that you're doing now as a farmland wildlife advisor. But can you tell us a bit yes. about the, the Suffolk Wildlife Trust as a body first? We are one of I think there's 42 wildlife trusts in the UK. Um, so wherever you are in the, in the country, you will find a local wildlife trust. Um, it's a it's a grassroots movement, so it's a charity that exists for wildlife, um, and and is is created by its membership effectively. Um, we are local to Suffolk, so definitely Suffolk based. Um, we're independent of the other trusts, but connected through the Royal Society of Wildlife Trusts. Right. We were established in 1961, I think. Mm. And then it would have been very much a group of amateur, keen amateur naturalists mm. getting together to sort it out. And look where it is today. Um, it's quite it, something. If, if you like, yeah. And <laughs> and look where it is today. Today we've got m- many more staff and, and 50-odd reserves and... <laughs> yeah and a trading arm and, a, and an education department and all sorts it's it's really great yeah. what's going on now um, it, it's fantastic to be working for for a charity with such resource mm. yeah i'm going to talk about the importance of membership in a bit but what are the main yeah. missions or objectives of the trust here in suffolk here in suffolk and across the country in fact it's it's really summed up by those those words from the Norton review of being being bigger better and joined up isn't it and, mm. and more more connected our current campaign and ask and, and mission is to see 30% of land and sea well managed for wildlife mm-hmm. by the year 2030, which is a big ask in a county like Suffolk, where 80% of it is productive farmland. That's our goal. Mm. Um, delivering that at fine scale is where all the work is, really. Right. It's about making those big spaces for nature, so they are nature reserves or other nature reserves or, or whatever county wildlife sites, which are generally privately owned but managed for wildlife, m- making those as good as they can be, bigger and better. For, for example, our recent project at Carlton Marshes is a case in point. We've managed to purchase a large tract of land nearby to the existing reserve, and we've just completed a huge project to turn it all into wader-friendly wetlands and rebed which is absolutely brilliant. That's well worth a visit if you're in the area, actually. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm writing it down right <laughs> get, now. Get so. the plug in. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, um, then there's the joined up part of that whole mission statement. And, and that's about creating this network of wildlife-friendly gardens and, and hedges and, and margins and all, all the rest of it so that things can move. Mm. Um, we want to create a, a permeable landscape out there yeah. because we've such fragmented little patches for wildlife at the moment. And there is no way that, that is going to solve the, the declines um, that, that we see in, in just about all species. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite a despairing situation mm. if you look at the numbers and the and the and the charts and all the indicators. They're, they're all going the wrong way at the moment, and they have been for a long time. Um, so, 1970s taken as a base year all the time. Mm. Every, everything's going down, and you hear commonly oh, 50 or 60 percent decline yeah. <laughs> rather than increase. It's frightening. Um, mm. So. It is, it is really frightening, um, and it's all linked to us mm. humans and and what we do and and mm. our, our activities mm. and, and and use of the natural environment. What can we all do to start getting us connected, not just locally, but as you said, as a patchwork across the entire country? What can we do, the person at home? I would encourage you to look up your local wildlife trust, mm. and if if you know if you're not already engaged with them in some way, have a look at the website. We've all got 
pretty good websites now and then there's lots of advice and information on those and you know have a go do some of do some of the things perhaps consider joining us um (laughs) (laughs) beautifully put yeah take a corner of your garden out out of mowing regime or plant some plant some native species or Mm -hmm. plant a fruit tree or dig a pond or make a hole in a hole in the fence for a hedgehog there's loads of stuff that people can do at home um even if you haven't got a garden you can you can feed birds from your windowsill yeah you can put pot plants on on a patio Mm. there's loads that you can do there's one area that i really wanted to pick up on because i think without this creature the whole harmony of nature stops and that's bees yes bees are a real flagship of pollinating insects generally Mm. um so it's it's bigger than bees right um and it's it's important to distinguish between between bees and bees okay <laughs> so bees that bees that we keep for for honey they are they are facing a lot of challenges and and one of those is is pesticides and, and the like in the environment yeah but it's important to understand that we know so much about them and, and we can do things for them because they are a farmed insect effectively right, yeah but we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the vast majority of pollination services are going to be carried out by wild pollinators, and they are hoverflies and flies and wasps mm-hmm. and bees, mm-hmm. a whole host of things, and moths and butterflies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. will all be affected in a similar way. So it's an easy message to say, let's do something for bees. Yeah, And it's, it's great that that message is out there and everyone gets it. Uh, and bees as an umbrella are, yeah. are critically important. And and with if we lose pollination services generally or to a significant extent, if we if we look at the example in China where they've effectively lost their pollination pollinating insects from their ecosystems in places, mm. and they are trying to hand pollinate fruit trees um, and, and other flowering crops, and mm. uh, we can't as a society possibly entertain that as an idea. So we all need to get behind a lower pesticide food production system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Wildlife Trust are campaigning to see in- integrated pest management adopted across our farm systems. Mm. And, and that's a system where pesticides are used only as a last resort. So it's not it's not organic so that you can still use pesticides, but you would be building ecologically resilient farming rotations and, and practices mm. in order that you reduced your need to use pesticides and you would only use them when you met certain threshold criteria mm-hmm. for crop damage mm. if everyone did that then we would be going in the right direction mm. effectively um it's not easy no. <laughs> from the point of view of a farmer no which brings- um there's a there's an yeah it's, it's a very complicated system yeah it sounds it it sounds um very intricate and actually that brings us neatly onto the fact that actually you are a farmland wildlife advisor so Take us into yep. that role now that you, you do and how you work with the local farming community and the successes that you've had, actually. Yes. So, yeah, I've, I've been working as a farm and wildlife advisor for just over a year and a half now, mm-hmm. something like that, um, having moved from my role as a warden. Um, so I've been bringing a lot of my practical experience to this to this role. We are, and I am. In fact, I must say it's not it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a load there's loads of really switched on engaged people working with farmers. It's 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 worth noting that and just saying that me on my own there's there's no way I'm going to talk to every farmer in Suffolk. No, <laughs> it's, it's never going to happen. There's a lot of them. There's only one of me. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of people working on this and and a lot of people trying to go in this in in a similar direction mm. as as well. 
We we are, and, and my role is focused on on farm wildlife, looking at those on farm habitats where we can make improvements and and small. Sometimes it's small changes to management to really make things work, and they can be a whole range of things. They can, they can be in field habitat for for ground nesting birds, skylark and and the like. Um, they can be marginal habitats, so the hedgerow networks and the field margins and and things. They can be semi-natural habitats such as wildflower-rich grasslands or floodplain meadows, those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're focusing on those elements of the farm environment that aren't the factory floor, and we're trying to get those more of them, of course, mm-hmm. um, join them all together and make sure that they're all in good condition. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, which is, you know, no no small task. One of the really successful things recently has been farmland ponds, and we're doing a lot of work on farmland ponds, and, and farmland ponds are they are probably the most biodiverse element of a lowland farm system. You have a good condition pond, clean water, open to the sun, some scrub nearby. It just works for absolutely everything because mm. um, everything needs water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we've been re- restoring and, and, and creating ponds at quite a good rate. It's great to see so okay. many farmers get, getting on board with them as well. Yeah, I was just about to say, and the farmers, are they conducive to this work? Yes, yeah, by and large. If a farmer is engaging with the Wildlife Trust, then they are generally switched on and willing to do things. And it, yeah, it, mm-hmm. in my experience, it's been positive and, and successful. There are, of course, as as there is in any industry, those that aren't interested in, and, and won't engage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with those characters, it's it's about positive messaging generally. Yeah, because one can waste a lot of breath. Yeah, <laughs> um, for for little gain. So mm. yeah, we, we are working with farmers and, and and groups of farmers, and I should really talk about cluster farms as well, mm. um, who are switched on, engaged, and want to do good things, yeah. which is great. Yeah, well, really, I- really positive experience. Actually, the the whole sort of last eighteen months or so working on this has been really good. Mm. Put it into real terms. What have you actually achieved, like percentage-wise, of turning farmland into, you know, wildlife land? Um, it's difficult to say because mm. some things you can't quantify. So I think we've probably restored something in the region of twenty-five or thirty ponds. Mm-hmm. That's the one I've got a number for <laughs> <laughs> off, off, the top, off the top of yeah. my head. Um, Sorry, didn't mean to put you under yeah, that much just, pressure. Just because I, I, I have, I have to track those. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, but but un- understanding and and quantifying our success is something we need to do. It's been very difficult with uh, coronavirus, of course, because yeah. we are limited as to you know how we can go out and do things. Something I'm I'm keen to get going as an initiative in the next year or so is something I started just before the pandemic, actually, and that's to have a network of, of volunteers across Suffolk who are prepared to go out and do some wildlife monitoring on farms mm-hmm. um, so that we can say, look, we work with this group of farms or we work with this farmer and the wildlife's going in the right direction. Mm. And anyone can volunteer? So it will be open to anyone, yeah. It will be across Suffolk. A volunteer will need a reasonable... Uh, time commitment in order mm. to make it worthwhile and a reasonable understanding of some species, yeah. farmland birds specifically, mm. and um, some, some pollinating insects. Sure. We have an enormous scope of wildlife in Suffolk. I know plants, we, we've talked about plants, but can we talk about, as you've just mentioned, birds and wild animals? There are an awful lot of deer in our area. Is that something that's commonplace across all of Suffolk? It is, yes. Um, and the numbers of deer in Suffolk have been increasing probably over the last sort of 20 years or so. 
It's an interesting question mm. about deer. They are our only large herbivore, mm. but they can also, well, they, they do, in fact, um, cause quite a bit of damage to woodlands mm. when they're at high densities. And so, in fact, on deer, some element of deer management is something that I would advocate, actually. Yeah. There's some element of, of pollution control. Mm. And that's best done at a landscape scale in coordination with others around you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see deer. And, and people are often very engaged by by seeing deer. And, and you get, you've get you got fallow deer near you. You get large herds of very, very picturesque deer running around. Mm. Um, but they need some element of... Control, as you say, is that? I mean, it, it, it is control, but it's also you. You are also looking after the the deer in a way because a good deer management policy will aim to have a healthy herd mm. at a sustainable population level for the habitat that is available to them. Yeah, um, and that that's well, that's where we fall down, um, and that's that's a another hangover of having a an industrialised landscape as as Suffolk is. Um, because there is no a, a there's no natural predator for the deer, mm. so they are the apex, um, and they are eating trees and grass. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a very short food chain, but also the habitat is much reduced. The natural habitat that they would use, mm. so they they are eating a lot of crops. Yes, but they're also spending a lot of their time in the small smaller woodlands, um, which are otherwise not receiving positive management. So it's yeah quite quick for a population of deer to to do a yeah. <laughs> do a lot of ecological yeah. harm. Yeah. You're talking about sensitive conservation, yeah. basically. Yes, yeah. Um, and and we, we need to be open about the fact that it's a necessity in many mm. places mm. To, to do this because it, it can be quite a polarising subject. Yeah. Um, the, essentially, it's the, it's the killing and eating of an animal. The eating being the desirable part because if we can create a situation where we've got a food system that accepts venison and get more people in Suffolk eating venison, mm. then it's a it's a circular economy and mm. it, it's self fulfilling. You know, it's um, so worth doing. Mm, absolutely, and it's incredibly healthy meat too. It is, yes, absolutely perfect. <laughs> now, perfect. local food miles are nil. Yeah, no footprint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what about? Um, just really quickly now, just going to finish up at some birds. We have some beautiful birds of prey, but what do we need to look out for at the moment? Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> Come on, it's all about putting uh, you on so, the spot. <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, the, the things you'll start to see at the moment are you should, you should start to notice birds singing because it's getting warmer mm. and it's getting towards spring. So, so you'll hear your garden birds piping up. I think, as you said, maybe at the start, they, you know, you'll, you'll get your blackbirds and, and song thrushes and things going into the evening now mm. um they are really making a lot of, making a lot of noise and again in the morning yeah. we're not quite at a full dawn chorus yet but we're getting there and you can you can start to notice if you sleep with the window open you'll you'll start to notice those changes mm. um as as we go into the spring birds of prey have been a real a real success conservation success story actually right um so we we get many more any more buzzards? We're just starting to see red kites now coming in Suffolk as mm. well, and and it, it's largely it's linked to reductions in certain lethal chemicals, um, so accumulating through the food chains. Um, so it's it's something that was done and, and advocated a while ago that is now starting to filter through as a booming population of certain predatory birds, which is mm, that's really nice to see. Um, you know, and no, we never we never saw when I was growing up. We never we never saw buzzards. No. For example, no. but now, but now you can go out in Suffolk anywhere, more or less, and you and you'll see them. Yeah. Which is fantastic, and uh, and you know something that everyone can 
probably recognise. Mm. Are they the small? They're fairly small bird of prey. The ones that hover near the side of the road over the verges. Yeah, kestrels. Those are kestrels, yeah. right? Okay. They're kestrels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, go they're, doing, my... they're doing well as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go and get my bird jigsaw out. I've forgotten them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a nice, a nice character species as well for for Suffolk. That's that's done well is is the barn owl. Uh-huh. And, and the wildlife trust were involved in a in a big project to to put up a lot a lot more barn owl boxes and mm. and and things and and they've actually they're, they're doing quite well. Yeah, um, they have their ups and downs, of course, but it's so linked to links to the weather and uh, populations of voles. But mm. yeah, they they're that's, doing okay. That's all good news. Yeah. Now, how do we get involved with the Suffolk Wildlife Trust? Uh, well, I would I would definitely recommend that you find your local wildlife trust reserve mm-hmm. and pay it a visit and get to know it and, and look at its wildlife and go throughout the year and see how it changes um, and, and yeah enjoy it because yeah. it's there it's free mm-hmm. it's open mm-hmm. um, yeah brilliant and several if- of them now have got centres as well so you can get a coffee very nice <laughs> and, and we will be able seems, to see seems to be essential in <laughs> yes indeed you will be able to see are you going to ma- ma- um, mention Boris's cup of coffee again on the bench <laughs> going on and on only, only if you have it on a bench yeah <laughs> And of course, we can become a full yeah. member. You can, and you and you certainly should. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, no, you certainly should. You'll get membership magazine, and and the membership subscriptions that that our members pay, they support our core conservation work. Mm. So we're not off spending members' subscription money on all sorts of mad hat projects, if you like. They are supporting our reserves and our staff, and 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 absolutely keeping the core of the wildlife trust going. So. Mm. Become a member, and you can feel good about good about it. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> Sam. Thank you so much for um, giving up some of your time to be with us. It's been really interesting talking to you. Okay, I'm very very happy to talk to you, and, and thank you for, for inviting me. That's a pleasure, and we'll hopefully meet you soon. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to the Suffolk Pod Show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or you can visit our website, podtalk.co.uk. And here's our disclaimer. The Suffolk Pod Show will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcast. The Suffolk Pod Show is produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests.